0: Welcome to the See Together podcast. With your help joining our Patreon, we can keep making inspiring interviews possible. For as little as $3 a month, you can join our vision to help the See Together podcast continue. Rachel Lord is a contemporary artist and surfboard shaper with a unique style. We talk to her about her creative journey and how the two subjects interact with her
1: life that celebrates play. My name is Rachel Lord. Um, I live in Ventura, California. I am an artist and uh, I make surfboards. (laughs) I surf. Um, I am a a, a physical embodiment of my higher self coming to you from a different plane. (laughs) And that's where I'll end it.
0: Thank you so much, Rachel. And I, I still can't believe this is your first time on Zoom, so it's pretty cool. And so, how did you start painting and making surfboards? Kind of wanted to know a bit about your journey.
1: Hmm. So, I I guess I really started painting seriously in college. Um, I went to the Rhode Island School of Design. I originally went there for fashion, and then once I was there, I realized. You could um, just be an artist. You didn't have to justify it with some other industry on top of it. I wasn't really aware that you could be a fine artist. So I started out in sculpture, and I would say that my, it's kind of a two part answer in reverse order. So I started in sculpture before I went into painting. And when I was in sculpture, I had my first experiences foiling things. So um, my first, experience that i think translated into making boards was when i was in sculpture i made like a model of a sand dune and um i got so much enjoyment and satisfaction out of imagining the different planes that the wind would create and sort of what i realized after the fact is like i had foiled all these edges and stuff to like their ultimate end result and just kept foiling and foiling and foiling with uh, the chisel, I ended up pretty much almost eroding the whole thing with the chisel. But through that, I had a reference for like, wow, I really love doing these aerodynamic windblown edges, but I have no context in which to file this skill or enjoyment. So I just kind of put it to the side. Then fast forward to when I did make my first board which was two years ago, a year and a half ago, after a car accident I had, I wasn't able to surf. I had been wanting to shape. I had been making miniature surfboards for a while, like small five-inch replicas, five to 10-inch replicas of classic shapes. Like I made a Liz Fish. I made a Skip Fry-ish glider. And it wasn't until I made my first board that I realized how much it felt like that first project that I really connected with that foiling of this wooden sand dune. Once I kind of filed that in the back of my head, I said, you know what? Sculpture isn't the thing for me right now. Uh, I went into painting, pursued that for, you know, the last like 12, 15 years as my main focus, but kind of never really felt like that was the whole story for me as an artist. It's really
0: interesting how you kind of dabbled in different things. And how do you feel like now that you're kind of a part of these two different worlds How do they intersect for you? And I'm just interested in like, how does it feel to be connected to both the surf world with your shaping and then the art
1: world? And kind of what have you learned about yourself through that process? Um, I found a lot of freedom in function. So there's so much conceptual pressure when you're making an art object for it to be the be all end all of the whole experience. That what I love about making a board is you have like all this, History and design in the process, and it sort of explains itself. Like you start with the wave or the rider, you know, you're not starting with every single thing in the universe. Um, And there's all the, you know, there's history to the shapes. There's, you know, certain shapes that work, certain shapes that don't. And what I love is when you're at the end of shaping this beautiful sculptural object, and I do think of the boards that I make as sculptures more than I think of them as a process. And so, you know, I'm kind of looking at every spot and handling it like a sculpture instead of like thinking about how many passes the planer takes and stuff like that. But um, when you're done shaping this blank, you have this beautiful, magnificent, soft white surface that it's like, I, I think the the big shift for me came when I realized that it was costing me the same to produce a surfboard as it was to make a stretcher and stretch a canvas like in, get it primed for a painting. And that's even before I pay for the oils. So for me, it's like this great two for one, where you get this, this wonderful board and then you get to paint on it as if it were a painting. And then either you sell it or if you don't sell it, you get to ride it. <laughs> so store it for forever. Or, you know, it kind of goes into the back catalog of some gallery never to be seen for like another 20 years. So for me, like the satisfaction of being able to ride a painting goes so much farther beyond the satisfaction that I ever got out of making a painting on, you know, like a square, normal wall hanging painting. And they've sort of folded back around because obviously there's things that you can do on a canvas you can't do on a surfboard. Um, But it's been really freeing for me to have the object justify itself instead of having to, you know, write an artist statement to justify what you've made.
0: Yeah, that's really beautiful. I like how you're describing that. And so how do you feel like your boards, do you feel like your boards are any different from like a normal shaper's boards
1: because of all of like your art background in it? I like to think so. (laughs) I mean, keep in mind, I'm in a a room with a bunch of other people in it, (laughs) but um, I'll, I'll say that I, I think I, I pay a lot of attention to detail. I'm, I'm used to having a certain standard of finish and a certain focus and expectation of myself from making art objects. You know, for the last 20 years, I think that yeah, maybe I am looking differently or longer or more intensely at things. I have like a pretty high attention to detail. I'd say that like as far as my shapes go, I. I am heavily influenced by things that have worked historically. I really do like more retro leaning shapes, kind of, I guess what you could consider classic outlines. I think that like the properties of hydrodynamics are this, like what we consider like something, what we consider to be aesthetically beautiful is what is hydrodynamic or aerodynamic. There's like just a natural beauty to like an airplane wing or a dolphin fin or like, so... For me, like, I prioritize an aesthetic because I feel like the function follows the aesthetic. And so if something looks right, it usually rides right. Um, so uh, that's kind of like my litmus for whether something will work or not is does it look pretty? And you know like on, a, on an actual physical level, and then the paint on top of it is a whole different thing. but you can kind of tell when something will work and when something won't work. Just by giving it the scan with the eyes,
0: it's interesting how there's like that biological, like science level yes. to that.
1: Yeah, I, th- I think absolutely. I mean, that's where inspiration for surfboards comes from. I mean, that's what the fin is. It's all the the stuff that really works well is the stuff that's you know gone through millions and billions of years of evolution. I kind of just went off on a tangent with what you brought up in my mind, thinking about like cellular reproduction and the way that like one splits to two, two splits to three, three splits to four. And that pattern of how a cell replicates is really echoed in the shape of everything. Um, And so, yeah, I think that like surfboards are no different. They're, you know, that sacred geometry of the universe boiled down into an object that kind of like encapsulates that numerology in a way that like biological numerology
0: it's a really cool way of describing it so I guess what is your kind of ideal vision for surfboard shaping like in the world like being an artist and like having all these perspectives about surfboard shaping like what would you like to see more of out there right now that maybe isn't there or
1: <laughs> no new shapers. No, I'm just kidding. Um, I am really inspired by people thinking of surfboards as ways to uh, like sink trash. You know what I mean? Like surfboards as carbon sink. So I'm super inspired by people who are taking things, you know, like a bunch of cigarette butts and like joining them with epoxy and then kind of working with that. I think there's a lot of potential there, and you know, making boards out of mushrooms and you know, even things like agave. But for me right now, I'm just interested in developing myself as a shaper, so I love just using polystyrene, because it's like the soulful feel of it, how fun it is to shape. It's like a dream material. As somebody who's like worked with wood and metal in the past, it's like you can cut it from any direction. You can pretty much use anything to carve it down, and I love that but eventually i would love to start making more experimental stuff with like more experimental materials as a way of absorbing and collecting trash and i'm i'm inspired by people who are you know messing with different resins different blanks finding ways where they can you know do it that it's not to- as toxic for the environment and themselves but that's for me like more long term like yeah i would love to see like surfboards made out of mushrooms like growing a surfboard you <laughs> know out of algae in a lab or Whatever it ends up being, I think there's going to be a lot of interesting stuff in the future um, as we start to like grapple with the true toxicity of the industry. But the toxic stuff is beautiful and fun to work with too.
0: Thank you for sharing that. And so I just noticed kind of your style with your boards and your art and everything. is like very playful. So I wanted to ask you, what is the meaning of play in your life? Wow, isn't that the whole
1: meaning? I had a like, I used to not take play so seriously, and um I kind of prioritized the exertion of my life, especially when I was prioritizing my art career and wasn't really focused on the experience of it, um, which was kind of at odds with my own personal beliefs. It's funny as you say this, I'm watching like two really cute kids in front of me play around on skateboards. But I, I think that, like, I guess like Brahma or the like the cosmic intelligence that kind of animates everything is really just personality on top of like, you know, loving energy, different developments of personality. And that's all really just play. So I think that we're just emanations of, you know, energy knowing itself playing throughout the universe. Surfing is like the ultimate joy. So like a surfboard should be a joy tool. So. I think of like the surfboard as an object that like collaborates with the wave and like emphasizes its playful aspects, not necessarily something that like just slices it up all over the place and lets you exact your will on it. I like boards that kind of find themselves in the pocket and like dance with the wave, not necessarily the most like high-performance tools, but I, you know, I they are like sh- you know sharp and highly tuned, but um, I guess. An example of that would be like I like to keep volume on my boards and I like to take it off of the rail because that gives you that bouncy sense of play. It's easy to paddle into a wave. Like I'd rather have a five two board that's three inches thick than an inch and a half, you know, even if, I'd rather prioritize like the joyful ease of surfing than the how uh, performance type of wha-sh, wha-sh, Slasher style.
0: Yeah, yeah, that makes total sense. And you mentioned that you kind of went through a phase in your life where you realized that you're kind of neglecting play. And can you talk a little bit more about that and maybe how you you came back to like your inner core again?
1: Hmm. I, was, uh, I was prescribed to a pretty heavy dose of Adderall from when I was age 14 until 28. And it sort of was like what I built my entire work ethic and art career on was this sort of like drug rush, essentially. Um, And it kind of had me for a lot of my teenage years and young adulthood um, kind of turned me into a bit of a uh, hyper-focused machine. Um, I wasn't really sleeping very well. I wasn't eating very well. I was kind of more interested in like, Promoting myself and hearing what other people had to say. Um, A lot of that went with trying to, you know, be this artist that I wanted to be, kind of be, or whatever that means. So it came to a point in 2015 when I had been making work for the new museum triennial in New York. And uh, I had known that this event was coming for like three years. I had kind of just put my life on hold and just prioritizing this thing. And, you know, working with uh, a large museum retrospective, like working with curators, working with institutions, like not everything works out the way that you want to. And I had put so much investment into this event thinking that it would launch the next phase of my career. But when it happened, I was so burnt out, I couldn't do any of it. I couldn't capitalize on the opportunity. And I just realized I wasn't happy. And I was like, well, if this isn't going to make me happy, and I thought this thing was going to make me happy, then what will? And I had also at the same time been listening to a lot of like channelings like Abraham Hicks and Bashar and was having a really hard time squaring the way that I was living my life and my priorities with the things that were resonating as true that I was picking up from these channels, such as like following your excitement and like why we're truly here on earth and like the trust that everything is always working out for me. And so kind of like I made like a a philosophical shift. I remember one night very specifically, it almost felt like an angelic intervention where I just said, you know what, I'm done. I can't live this way. I shipped the work the next day and I never took Adderall again. And I immediately took a year off of painting. And it was in that period of time that I started sitting Zazen. I got into like Zen meditation, which I don't do as regularly now, after my Zen period, I then found surfing. And that really changed my life. I started surfing super late in life, but i had always been an athlete. And when I went to art school, I kind of let that part of me go. But I grew up ski racing and doing gymnastics and you know any other sport uh, under the sun, pretty much. That wasn't a team sport with a ball. And um, I loved that. And it was a big part of my life And when I found surfing again, I realized how much I hadn't been like engaging with myself physically and just like ignoring my body. And I realized I wasn't really doing anything fun. And so the second I started surfing, I really couldn't do anything else because I was in this period of following my excitement. And that was the thing that excited me every day. And so I got really obsessed. I went every day and you know, taught myself from the internet. And it became like the biggest part of my life to the point where I sort of had to start to figure out ways that I could like, you know, still work and surf as much as I work or make art still and surf as much as I surf, you know, find a way to support myself while surfing as much as I was. So I guess for me that like the priority to joy happened before I found surfing. But surfing is what gave me a strong foundation of joy in my life that I could build off of.
0: Yeah that's so awesome thank you so much for sharing all that story about your personal experience it's really inspiring to hear kind of the backstory you know and how do you you know kind of balancing like these two worlds like being in
1: do you still make paintings right now correct Um, I, I still am, I'm drawing a lot at the moment. I'd love to be making paintings, but I only have a shaping day at the moment. Mm -hmm. So it's not really an ideal painting environment and my apartment's really small, but I've, so I've been focusing more on works on paper, but I'm trying to get back there to get myself like some wall space because I do feel called to be making them. It just like, it's more of a space issue at this point. Mm -hmm. So... Do
0: you have any tips for people that are like trying to balance kind of a multifaceted identity, you know, being a part of different worlds, like surf world, art world, or sports and
1: art? I think that COVID has kind of done some interesting decompartmentalization. It's kind of shown us that like, you know, the art world isn't the whole bag. You know, like there's, as myself included, there's so many people who give so much of themselves pretty much for free or, you know, paying, you know, dearly with their time and wallet to make things happen. And they don't really necessarily see very much on the other end of that or see it come back to them. It's a lot of giving, especially from like culture creators in the art world. And I think that with the way that things have changed socially, the way that like, you can't just go to an opening the same way that you used to, what that means for how art is viewed, um, how you incorporate that into it. It's kind of, I think, changed the perspective of a lot of people who are really serious for a long time, thinking that this is the be-all end-all and they have to be this kind of like uptight presentation of an art world sort of thing. I think that like COVID has kind of showed us that like unless you have something that you truly love as the foundation of your life, that you would do regardless of your professional career. I think it's just shown us the importance of that. And like as surfers, we're really lucky because when everything shuts down and you can't go to your parties and you can't go to the, like your restaurants or whatever it is that like people do to unwind, decompress, like we're stoked because we still have surfing. And we know the reason why we get up every day. It's because like they're swell or, you know, we want to make something that's related to surfing and not everybody has that. Yeah, I just, I feel like as surfers, we have a really... We we know why we get up in the morning. Like, we know, like, what we'd rather do than going to work. You know, there's a lot of soul searching that people have had to do. And I think that this whole period, this, this, like, you know, proverbial reset that we're going through has, I think, helped a lot of people see how they were maybe living for other people instead of themselves. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's so true. Yeah,
0: so true. Well, thank you so much Rachel. And is there anything else that you would like to cover that
1: maybe we missed? I'm just really stoked to be here in my new shop. I've got, you know, it's kind of my first time having like a community of people around me. I've been a bit of an island, like, you know, I taught myself how to shape using the internet. <laughs> and oh, wow. just like how I taught myself how to surf using the internet. <laughs> um and this is my first time being in a proper shaping bay with other people around, um, you know. Gla- I'm in a glass shop now and um, it's really exciting for me to be able to start glassing my own boards, to have racks at my appropriate height because I've been shaping on racks for somebody who's 6'2". I'm 5'2". <laughs> so I've been like up at my ears with the planer. Um, so yeah, it's just really happy time for me to be uh, Oh, airplane again. (laughs) It's an exciting time for me to be working and making, and um, I'm just happy to be able to do it. Awesome.
0: Well, thank you so much for just being a part of this podcast and jumping in. Want to learn more about the stories of surfers globally? events, and be a part of our community? You can find out more on ctogether.com or our Instagram, c.together.mag. Hope to see you next time. Special thanks to Caroline Balk for music and sound design and Maya Fiedelholz for editing.